Let us pray. Father God, thank you for your word. I pray you'll use me as your vessel. Uh, help me, Lord, to say the hard things that you want me to say that I might be intimidated to say. Um, help me to also be graceful as I'm coming forth with your truth, God. Use me for your glory because you could use anyone else and help me not to be big-headed about it. I love you and praise you and I give you all the glory in the mighty name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Okay, we're starting a new series like what Pastor Rodney said on biblical manhood, biblical masculinity. This will be part one. And the three points I'll be preaching from today uh, are, my first one is, maybe there's more to manhood. The second one is decisiveness. And the third one is trust the process. And, and I also want to talk to the ladies this morning. Although I'm discussing manhood this morning, there are some things in this sermon, ladies, that can apply to you as well. For example, if you're a wife, then this helps you to have a prayer list and not what, you, and not what may appear to your husband to be a nagging list. Um, if you're a single woman, it, it, it can help you to have a clear picture of manhood without coming up with a, a list of demands for a man. And if you're a mother and you have a son, then this gives you some godly areas of interest to help disciple your son. Men, I, I know every time there's a men's series, the men always think like, you know what, all right, here go another preacher about to beat up on me. Um, I, I'm not going to lie, I'm going to challenge you uh, because being a man is challenging. You know, we're, we're, the lead, we're called to be the leaders uh, of our household or just in society as general. But at the same time, I want to be more like, um, more like your coach this morning. I want to be encouraging. I just don't want to like Bible thump you with a whole bunch of scriptures and be like, you need to do this, you need to do that. But at the same time, just showing you what God's word has to say about manhood. Uh, lovingly challenge you and let you know that in spite of it being difficult, that doesn't mean God hasn't called you to do it. Uh, a lot of times we think just because something's hard, God's not in it. And, and very well, that's usually his will. God never allows his children to take the easy route. So in, in anything that'll be lasting in this world, you almost got to fight for it. It has, to be a, it has to be difficult at some standpoint. So um, I'm saying all that to say, man, I see your potential. God sees your potential. If I wasn't up here, we'll do a big group hug right now, Dan, at the bottom, but um, I'm up on stage now, all right? <laughs> Maybe there's more to manhood. Fellas, have you ever thought that God is probably calling you, to more, calling you to more as a man? Like, have you ever just sat back and reflected when no one's around, just you, by yourself? Have you ever given it some thought? Like, it's more than just coming to church on Sundays and, and getting your word, and, and that's great, and, and praying, but... Maybe, maybe God's calling you to do more for him. You know, like um, the people you're connected with, where you work at, um, where you go to school at. You know, it, it could be a good friend that you already have that God's probably telling you to encourage on, on some capacity. Uh, I know I do. All, I, I, I did and I still do till this day. I always wonder to myself, maybe God's calling me to more, more in this life. And usually the more that God's calling us to as men is maturity. And I know that's like a, a broad word. It's like, it's like the, the ocean. When you say maturity, mature in what? You know, you could go so many angles in that. So I'm going to specify a couple of things for us today. Uh, first, I'm going to start off telling you um, some things maturity is not. Like maturity is not something that comes with age. Like you could be 50 years old, fellas, and still immature. You know, so don't think like the older you get, the more mature you get. Usually that should be the pattern, but that's not always the case depending on your surroundings and your upbringing. So maturity doesn't always come with age, but 
a sign that you are maturing, fellas, is when you begin to accept responsibility. Um, one of the clearest signs of manhood is when a man can just raise his hand and say, you know what, this is all me, I messed up. He doesn't have a, a litany of excuses. He's like, you know what, this one's on me. And sometimes um, being responsible doesn't even mean it was your fault. It just means the position you have, you know, you're the responsible party. Like, I, I can remember being younger, I go somewhere with my older brother and um, I get in trouble, but um, my, my dad would tear his head off because um, I, he was responsible for me. So I get in trouble and he would get in trouble because my dad left him in charge, you know. And also, I want to talk about the opposite of maturity, which is immaturity. Because if you understand what immaturity is, then maturity will start to be a lot clearer to you. Immaturity, guys. Um, how many, you know, I, I know I got some college students in here. And uh, for those of y'all who know what the word student loans are, Naviant, Sally Mae, I want you to look at immaturity along the same concept. Immaturity, um, ladies and gentlemen, is very, very expensive. Every day that you're dwelling in immaturity, you, you're, you're, um, you're, you're charging up this tab daily, monthly, yearly. You might not see it now, but later on down the line, you, you're, you're going to charge up a tab that you, you don't got enough. Your bank account's not big enough to cash in on. So it's very important that you glean from this text and, and, and just hone in on some things like, Immaturity can cost you the next 20 to 30 years of having to clean up some things that God wants you to avoid altogether, if you could glean some things from this sermon. Um, another definition of um, uh, maturity is that maturity, this is an anonymous person. Uh, I should have put my name since it's anonymous. I mean, I wouldn't get in trouble. I could act like I came up with it, but I didn't want to lie to y'all. Um, maturity is when you stop making excuses and start making changes. You ever walked up with somebody and um, you're telling them they're wrong, but they got 10 reasons why they're wrong, and they won't just say, you know what, yeah, it's, it's on me. Uh, 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 for those in the audience who are married, you probably realize this when you argue with your spouse, where um, ladies, a lot of time, your husband will give you an apology that sounds like this. You, 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 know, you know what, Lisa, it is my fault, but da 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 Ladies don't want to hear that, but they want to say, it's my fault, period, you know, and a lot of times maturity, whether you're single or married, maturity is the same way. Um, just say that you're wrong and don't give a whole bunch of qualifiers to go along with it. You know, there, there's growth in that and we can learn from that. Uh, and you can tell, guys, when people haven't matured yet, but, uh, you know, it, um, for the, uh, it could be somebody you went to school with years ago, someone you used to hang with. Uh, because how they talk hasn't changed, their opinions, their motives, their way of thinking is still the same, and you're scratching your head because you feel like God's calling you to more, and this don't feel comfortable no more. And the reason is, is because he's trying, God's trying to mature you, but you're just staying on the same uh, uh, playing field to where things are comfortable to you. But God's trying to call you to something that's greater, something that's probably more difficult, but he's going to grace you with the strength to do it. And immature people, guys, like I said earlier, they'll never accept the consequences of their actions. They will respond by blaming everyone else around them instead of taking the blame themselves. Uh, and the text we just read earlier, we will see um, a sharp contrast of, from immaturity to maturity and the life of Elisha. And as we read these last, these couple of verses, Elisha's occupation, he was a plowman. So, you know, he's treading ox, uh, a picture that would be... Um, or a whole bunch of oxes, their heads are around this thing, 
and they're just going down the field and they're just working it. They're just chewing away. And it's, it's, it's like, you know, when you're elementary and um, you're, you're cutting and they got those dotted lines, how to cut straight. They'll eat straight in a row so everything look nice and pretty, you know, and that's his job, you know, and, and it's not a demeaning job. Like, I don't want you to think like God was calling Elisha to leave that job because being a farmer was too beneath what God wanted him to do when he wanted him to do something greater. Matter of fact, as I was doing some history on the life of Elisha, he's the understudy of Elijah. I don't know why their names are so similar, you know, Elijah and Elisha. Like, one could have been named Dan or Rick or something. It would have been much easier. But um, Elisha, the understudy, he actually came from a wealthy background. So it's not like he followed Elijah because, you know, he was hurting financially. Like, his people had money. Like, everything would have been his. But he just felt like something in him felt like, you know what? God's calling me more to more. And, and back then, that was a typical job of the day, treading oxygen. So that's like being a fireman back then or, or a police officer or a school teacher or a doctor. Like, if, if, if you were a plowman, like, you, you were probably looked at as a noble position in the community. Um, but the thing is, Elisha was being faithful to a fruitless task. But soon he will find out, he'll come to find out that God's calling him to be faithful to a fruitful task. Uh, has anyone ever been in that predicament? I know I have. Like, uh, before I really knew what God wanted me to do, I just felt like uh, I was being faithful to things that had no return of value. And sometimes it doesn't always have to be sin, but the thing you're really committed to, you know, you have to ask yourself the question, how is this bringing God glory? You know, and, and, and that's the struggle that Elisha had. Elisha felt like, you know what, there's nothing wrong with my occupation, but something inside me feels like God's calling me to more. And men, that's one of the challenges of what I, what I want to ask you this morning. Do you ever feel like maybe God is calling you to more? And, and that more doesn't always have to, don't think along the context of God's calling you to like go to school and be a pastor and come up here and uh, preach every Sunday. I'm not talking about that context, but whatever it is in life that you're doing, I want you to start to think throughout this sermon, how could you use that for the glory of God's kingdom? Whatever that may be, whatever your nine to five is, whatever it is that you do every day, the people you come into contact with, I want you to start to think, how could you, bring, how could you use that for God's glory? Um, and another thing, another thing that made Elisha so compelled to follow Elijah is that no one challenged him. Um, a lot of times, men, as we go through... Um, as we go through manhood, uh, no one challenges us. And when they do, we catch an attitude and get offended. But a lot of times, if you want to grow, someone has to challenge you. And the person who's mentoring you or pouring into you, if, if, if they agree with everything, if you agree with everything they said, then nine out of ten times, they're not really challenging you. Because if somebody loves you, they got to give you some pushback, some things you don't want to hear. You know? And Elisha didn't have that person in his life. So when Elijah steps on the this, on this scene, not only is he going to impart some spiritual um, um, precedence in his life, but he's also coming to challenge him. And that's the first part of manhood, guys. If there's nobody who can look you in the face and say, brother, I love you, but you're wrong, then, uh, then something's really, really wrong. It can't always be that everyone in your circle agrees with you. That's one of the problems of being a celebrity. And that's what makes it so hard. The average celebrity, because everyone's on their payroll, they disagree with them. And, and that's, that's really a scary place to be, where you have people around you who can't be honest with you, who can't really tell you, like, I love you, but you know what, your life's jacked up, or you need to change some things right here. And not so much to beat you up or condemn you, 
But men, there has to be people around you who, I could, like I said earlier, can lick you in the face and say, you know what? If you, if you tweak a couple of things here, you'll be more efficient and more effective in life. And uh, what does God have to say about this area, that area? You need those people in your life. We all do because this Christian walk, we can't do it in isolation. God's called us to do it in community. Uh, and it's, it, like I said, it's a problem when men aren't challenged. Uh, but by the way, fellas, um, you don't have to raise your hand, uh, but who's challenging you? I want you to think about that. Who's challenging you? Whose face comes to mind when I'm asking you this question? If no one's face comes to mind, that's the problem, but it's okay. It's a good problem. That means that, that, mean that you have a task at hand. You have to find somebody who really loves Jesus, um, and they just don't keep a seat warm every Sunday at church. They do love Jesus, and they're willing to walk with you in life. Um, I'm, and, and, and because God is such a creative God, uh, he'll, he'll show you who that person is, or half the time that person's in your vicinity, you just don't even know it yet, all right? And when men are challenged, like I said earlier, when men are challenged in love by people who really care about them and are not judging them, not condemning them, not telling them they're, they're never going to be nothing in life or you're just like your daddy, you're just like your uncle. But when you're challenged in love, when somebody's walking with you, every time you fall, they help you get up and they walk with you and they say, that's OK, we'll get it better next time. They're coaching you along the way. It leads to my second point, men, to where we become decisive. And this is just a real nice way of saying somebody who can make decisions. Um, uh, I, I have this picture up here because a lot of times men are in attention to where we have all, you ever met somebody with a whole flight of ideas, but they never execute anything? Um, I remember years ago, I went to school with this guy, like he would, every, every time I seemed like, yeah, Mark, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. I'm going to do this. And I come back to him like a month later, oh, said, you started like, Nah, I ain't start yet, but I'm going to do it, though. I'm going to do it, though. And, and years ago, by, and I ran into that same guy, and after a while, I just knew what he would say, but he would never execute anything. And a lot of times, when you see somebody like that, they're really stuck. They have no one to walk alongside them to help coach them to tell them, you know what? I see potential in you, man. You can do more. God's calling you to more. To more. And then God's calling you to man up in some areas and just make some decisions. And we're going to unpack that a little bit. There's a generation of men and that are afraid to move forward in life. Remember I said earlier, being a man is intimidating. God's called you to be the leader, to be out front. And, um, and that can be terrifying sometimes. You know, and that, the average man is not going to lean on someone else's shoulder and say, oh, hold me, I'm so scared. We don't do that. So we just pretend we got it all together. But, um, but we're just terrified because we know that the onus is on us to make decisions not only for us that will impact ourselves, but our loved ones and our families as well. So we live in a generation of men that are afraid to move forward in life. And this is what Elijah came to offer Elisha, an opportunity to be decisive, to not only decide um, to walk in the purpose God's called him to, but also to make some heavy decisions. Like I said earlier, just because the decision is hard does not mean God is not in it. And usually, depending on the context of the decision, the difficult ones are usually the ones God is right in the thick of. I would love to preach you a happy message like, it'll be easy, the end of 2017 is your year, but a lot of times it can be difficult what God's calling you to do. Um, in the same way that Elijah called Elisha to be decisive, uh, Jesus is calling us to do the same thing. And uh, by the end of the sermon, I'm just, I'm going to make, 
I'm going to make the call if you're not right, if you don't feel like you're at the place to, if you were to die today, you would be with Jesus in heaven, I'll definitely um, give you an opportunity where there'll be those who could pray with you. Or if, you're, if you, you were at a place with Christ, but then you kind of did your own thing, but you're trying to find your way back and you need some help navigating through that, yeah, it'll be some people to help you um, work through that as well. Um, decisiveness, men, it doesn't mean that you make all the major decisions in life by yourself. It's the complete opposite. Uh, a, a man who's decisive, uh, he makes his decisions within the context of community. So he reaches out to other men who, can, who he can trust, who are more wise than him. It's like, look, I got this real big decision I need to make. Uh, I want to get your feedback on it. But then after he's gotten all the counseling he thinks he needs, it's time to make a decision. You know, that's what's difficult about being a man. Like, you, we sometimes wish somebody who could always get it right could just make the decision for us. But part of being a man is walking in faith and believing that even in our mess ups, God is with us. But he's calling us to make a decision and he's given us some tools to help us. He's given us his word. He's given us his spirit. He's put men around us who can help walk with us. But at the end of the day, men, the decision is on us to make to make by ourselves. And we're going to have to live with that. And that's one of the toughest part about being a man. It's not always what uh, the coach coaches um, sells you with. Uh, things we'll talk about a little bit that are like the complete opposite of biblical manhood. And another thing, being decisive does not always mean that you will make the right decision. You can love Jesus, be decisive, and be completely wrong. But it's okay. It's okay. That's what part of life is. We're going to mess up. I mess up every day. But the thing is, we're learning from those mess ups, so we're not repeating them daily. All right? And, um, and, it, and they can become great teach teaching moments. And ladies, if you're in here and you're married, um, that's one of the things that can really encourage a man. Like, even in his mess-ups, like, don't use that as an opportunity. Like, take your high heels and, uh, uh, I told you. Like, encourage him. Like, encourage that brother and let him know that it's all right. You'll get it right next time. You could be his biggest motivator. And fellas, if you're single, if you're single there should be other men around you coaching you along the, the way as well. Um, in Christ, guys, I know I'm telling you to be decisive, make a decision, but you just don't wake up one day and say, okay, I'm ready to be decisive. I heard the guy preach about it on Sunday morning. No, uh, we don't have that kind of willpower. That's why we need Jesus. Only in him, because he's the epitome of real manhood, only in Christ can we find the strength to be decisive, to make decisions. We need his grace every day. Um, it's hard enough the pressures society puts on us to be a man, but on the flip side, when you read scriptures, there's, there's, two times as much pressure that, of what God's calling us to, but with his grace and with his, with his spirit, we can do it. You know, it's nothing for us to back down from. Elisha, back to the text. Elisha, the understudy, he was reasoning with his decision. There was a part in the text I read where um, uh, Elisha, Elijah told him to go back because he made a comment and he was like, let me go first, um, kiss my mother and father goodbye, and Elijah got offended by that. He's like, go back. You're not ready yet. But when, um, when he went, the reason he was making those excuses, it's easy to read the text and be like, uh, he wasn't ready. He's not ready for what God's calling him to. But um, I like this about him because when I, when I see Elisha wrestling with the tension of what to do with this decision, I'm seeing a picture of real manhood. We have to wrestle, man. We have to wrestle. And that wrestling is not impulsive. This is why I like it. Elisha's not the kind of guy who wakes up one day and say, I'm moving to the other side of the country. I don't know where I'm going to work. Where I'm a, you know, he's not a free, you ever meet these free-spirited people? 
Like they just, they're just ready for anything. Like they're not committed to anything. They can wake up the day and, and they can say, you know what, Pastor Rod, I'm driving to New York. I'm gonna take an Uber. Don't know how, but I'm like, they just come with these crazy ideas because they're not like committed to anything. This is not Elisha. This is what he, Elisha is like, he's putting some thought into, the, into this. Because when I'm saying to be decisive, guys, I'm not saying to just wake up one day and do something that's going to affect the rest of your life and also those around you without counting up the cost. He's really weighing like, man, if I follow this guy named Elijah, I got to give up everything. I got to give up everything. And, uh, and guys, uh, biblical manhood is saying the same thing. For you to walk a path that's pleasing to God, God's calling you to give up some things. I'm not going to stay up here and be legalistic and read all 50 things to give up. I don't need to do that because you got God's word and you got his spirit. He, he has a much better bullhorn than me. But there are some things that God's calling and challenging you to um, as a man that you're going to have to really weigh the cost and say, man, is Jesus really worth this? And we see a similar story in Luke chapter 9, verse 59 through 60, where um, Jesus, uh, you know, in one of the parables, he tells this man to follow him. And the guy's like, no, let me go bury my mother and father first, Jesus, and then I'll follow you. And it sounds noble when you read the text. But, with the te but if you really do some research on that text, what it's really saying and what Elisha was saying here, he wasn't saying, let me go give my mom a kiss on the cheek and then I'll be right out and follow you in five minutes. He was basically saying, let me take care of my folks. You know, in a couple of years, they'll, they'll get older, they'll die. And uh, if you're still around, then I'll follow you. You know, and a lot of times, the, those are the same ultimatums we make with God. Like, oh, I'll do the Jesus thing, but you know what? First, I got, I got to do some living over here. You know what I'm saying? And then when I'm done living, I'm done doing my thing. Okay, I'll be about 30. I'll be about 30. And then, then Pastor Ronnie, you can use me there. You know, we made these plans, right? I know I used to be just like that. But here's the problem with that. When, we, when we're thinking like that, we're, re, we're re, reliving the same sin in Genesis 3 that Adam and Eve did. They wanted to be the God of their lives. When you're thinking like that, you're basically saying, I know for a fact in 10 to 15 years, I'll still be breathing because I run my own life. I control every time I breathe. I do my own thing. I'm the God of my life. So um, when I'm ready, I'll do the Jesus thing. But truth of the matter, guys, we could be perfectly healthy and not wake up tomorrow. Let, I'm not trying to be like bleak and just ran on your parade, but we don't control where our next breath comes from. We don't control that we leave church, um, God forbid, uh, this morning, and we get in a, in a fatal car wreck. We don't control if we go to our next doctor's appointment and they're saying we're, we're battling stage four cancer. We don't. That's why we got to take advantage to walk out the purpose that God's calling us to do today, because tomorrow's really not promised. And not only that, you're missing out on so many people God's calling you to impact. Think about it. Most of y'all in here, you're only in here because God, somebody was obedient to the calling of God to reach out to talk to you. That's the only reason we're here. We didn't just wake up one day and show up to church. Somebody said, you know what? God's telling me to, you know, like reach out to Mark, reach out to Sam. You know, I, I got to, I just got to connect. I don't know why. I just feel like God's telling me to do that. And then years later, we, that person seeing the fruit of the time they poured into that person. And that's part of biblical manhood. Whatever God's calling you to, man, to men, it's worth so much more than the life you got now because when you start to compare your comfort right now with eternity, it pales in comparison. Whatever that it is, whatever that thing that you think is not worth it to give up for Christ, you know, like at best you live a good life, uh, you eating right, taking your vitamins, you might get a good 90 years, you know. You can't compare that to eternity with Jesus, you know. It, it doesn't compare. 
If, if, you're, if, you're, if you're a numbers guy, it, it, it's not adding up. Um, and men, we can't talk about, um, you, we can't talk about decisiveness if we don't feel the weight of that decision. If it's, uh, I'm looking for a parking spot at Walmart, that's really not something you got to be decisive about. But when these decisions start impacting, what's going to be my career path? What's going to be the kind of life I want to, uh, the kind of legacy I want to leave, leave for my kids? How I want to lead my wife, um, the girl I'm dating, or am I looking to marry her in a couple of years? When you start to have to, or is God calling me to go back to school? When you start to deal with those weightier subjects, um, you really, really need God's leading, not only by His Word but by His Spirit, to to just make sure that to just make sure that you're in His will as you're making those decisions. And sometimes those decisions could even call for you to like move to the other side of the country or to move somewhere international. You just never know where your decisions can lead you. And that's why you really want to count up the cost on will these decisions bring glory to God? Um, some, some, I wanted to make a, a list of some things because I'm sure, I'm sure we all do some digging in our own lives. We'll find out that there are some things that God might be calling us to, but they, they might be a bit intimidating. Men, maybe God's calling you to a promotion. I mean, who wouldn't like a promotion? But, you know, with a promotion, probably come more responsibility. And now you're probably thinking of, oh, do I really want this? I don't even like people. I don't want to deal with nobody. I'm just good at my cubicle. Now I got to be over all these people. Um, maybe he's calling you to, you can't seem to um, stop messing around with your girlfriend. Maybe he's calling you to a life of purity. Maybe he's saying, you know what, what you're doing that feels good. It's offensive to me. Because that girl you're touching, she's not yours because you're not married to her. Or maybe you are married, but uh, you think it's okay if, you know, like, you, you, do, you do your little thing on the side and, and, you know, and you're violating your covenant you made with your spouse. And God's calling you to a level of purity on that aspect. Or it may, it, not, it may not even be a sinful thing at all. Maybe God's just calling you, like I said earlier, to go back to school, um, embark on an internship, go to seminary. Maybe he's calling you to do some volunteer work in your community. Uh, maybe he's calling you to start a nonprofit. Maybe you see a need in the community and you feel like, you know what, uh, this is something I could do. I'm going to do the paperwork, get that 501c3, uh, get that nonprofit discount, and just be all out for the glory of God. Uh, maybe he's calling you to venture off with your own business idea. And it's terrifying because you can't see, you can't fathom the thought of, you know, of embarking and leaving the comforts of a nine to five with health, medical, dental, life insurance, disability, supplemental, AFLAC, and all that. You can't just leave all that, you know? So God might be calling you today, and it's intimidating. Um, maybe he's calling you to a career change, you know? Um, and you feel the weight of that career change is not all about money's not the number one factor. You just feel like, you know what? I can make such a bigger impact for the kingdom of God if I went to this, this field, which might, might just be my calling. Um, maybe he's calling you to international missions. Maybe he's saying, you know what, go do two weeks in some foreign country and, and just see how life is done on, on a much simpler basis so you can really engage with me. Um, you know, so, and another thing, guys, decisive men, this is how you can tell when a, man, when a man is becoming decisive. They finish what they start. That's big, fellas. They finish what they start. Don't, don't, be, don't be that person. You're over here, then two years later, you're over there. You're over there, you're over here, but you never finish anything. So one of the signs that a man's decisive, they're all about closing the chapter where they're at before they open up a new chapter, whatever that may be. 
because you're going to look back on your life. And this is where we, we get hit up with a midlife crisis. We're, about in, we're, we're coming to the middle of our lives and we're looking back, scratching our head like, eh. Regrets just, you're just overwhelmed in regret. You just feel like I never accomplished any of the things God's placed on my heart because I was too afraid to, to make a decision. Um, we look at Elisha. He left his, he left his inheritance because I said he came from money, money. He left his inheritance and his profession to start an internship with Elijah. It's not like Elijah was like, you getting paid $8 an hour. Elijah's like, follow me. Like, he ain't even know where his next meal coming from. This dude just say, follow me. You know, like, who you think he is, Jesus? That's the kind of stuff Jesus would say, follow me. And they're sleeping outside. He's praying for food to come down from the, you know, like, it's very intimidating when we have to be decisive. Um, I want to tell you this cool story about uh, um, two men with chopping trees. It was an old man and a younger man. And the old man, well, the younger man, he was just, you know, he young, he's strong, he's chopping away. He probably ain't even stretched because he's probably 18, 19. He's just going to chopping trees. He's chopping. And the older man, he's chopping, but he's measuring. He's taking his break. He's probably drinking his Dasani water. And, you know, he's being real, real methodical, real calculated. And this young man just welling away, sweating away. But by the time they're done, the old man has cut twice as many trees as the, as the younger man. You know, and the younger man's like, how he did that? And the reason he did that, because um, he wasn't being he was being very methodical in, in, in thinking through his decision. And I said that story to say men who struggle with deci de decisiveness, they're that guy who measures rest, but they never do what the first two guys did. They never they never get up to cut any tree. They're just always they're there. They're measuring, uh, they're, 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 um, they're taking long rest because they're, they're being lazy, but they never make up their mind and say, you know what, uh, at least this guy over here, this young guy who's chopping away all this tree, he's not being efficient. He's not asking anyone for advice how he could do things better in his life. But the older man, you can tell he's been through some things. He's like, you know what, let me save my energy and let me, let me be more, more strategic on how I'm cutting. You can tell this older man, man, he's had some people in his life that's helped really shape his path. But the other guy who's indecisive, he doesn't get up at all. He doesn't cut anything. He just measures. He's even dressed to the, he's, he's even dressed like he's ready to cut. He has all the tools. Um, he's measuring, he's drinking, but he never gets up. He never gets up, up from sitting down. He just stays sitting down. And men, you don't want to be that guy sitting down. At least be that guy, although he's not working efficiently, the young guy, at least he's welling away at the tree. Yeah, he's going to burn himself out, but at least he's doing something. At least get, into the, at least get in the game. So being decisive just calls for us to at least make a decision. Um, and I want to ask you guys something, men, because I didn't want this sermon to be, like I said earlier, where I'm just telling you all a laundry list of things to do and beating up on you. Uh, what are some things, man, I want us to give this some real careful thought. What are some things that we feel God is calling us to, but, but they have us very, very apprehensive? First couple of things that come to mind, that's probably what it is. Um, but it's not just you guys, it's me as well. So I'm not, don't think I'm just preaching a sermon that doesn't apply to me. As long as you're breathing and you're a man and, and you're trying to live for God, you will always have some type of challenge in front of you that God's calling you to. That's just part of being a man. Um, and I, don't, I wouldn't want to see you guys wasted because um, God's placed so much potential in every single one of you guys, whether I know you personally or not. There's definitely 
dignity and value you're made in God's image. So there's definitely potential there what God wants you to do. Um, and men, if you're decisive and you've coupled that with wisdom and, uh, and you've already sought out uh, godly counseling, then you're showing signs of maturity. I'm going back to maturity again. Uh, one of the ways you, another way you can tell when someone's mature is that they think long term. That's how you can tell somebody mature. They're just not living for the day. Um, everything they do, that, that it, has, it has implications on the future, for their kids' future, or their great-grandkids' future. Um, the mature person says, I, I can't just spend all of my paycheck, but I'm going to save a little bit in case of emergency, even if it's just 20 bucks to pay period. Because at the end of the month, if you get paid every two weeks, that's $40 more you got by the end of the month. So the mature person is planning, the mature man is planning for that emergency that not if it arises, but when it arises. Um, the mature person says, the mature man says, I want to indulge in this pleasurable activity, but Lord, because of my love for you, because if, if it ain't for the love of Christ first, it can't just be for another person, because in all matter of time, you'll, you'll, you'll dibble and dabble into it. It has to be for your affection for Jesus first, because of my love for you and all of the different problems I have to deal with, I'd rather pass on this, Lord. The mature person says, although you're cute or beautiful, you don't truly love Jesus. And marrying you will affect the next 25 to 30 years of my life. That's hard. That's a real hard decision to make, but um, it, it takes maturity to be that honest, especially if, especially if it's going to have um, implications on your future. You, you definitely got to think that through. The mature man says, girl, I've been dating you for a while. Um, I've been dating you for a while, and either I take this relationship to the next level and marry you, or I just stop wasting your time and I'm going to leave you alone. Uh, the mature man repents daily and asks for forgiveness when they've messed up. That's a sign of maturity. It don't mean you always do the right thing. You could just, you could just be the bigger person and say, you know what, this one's on me. It's my fault. I apologize. Um, and you can't be mature if you're only focused on your selfish desires. That's why Jesus left us with two great commandments. Love him with all our mind, soul, strength, and heart, and love others the same way. If you're not thinking about others, that's a sign that your connection with Jesus is not, something's off, you know, because it's vertical and then horizontal. I always mess that up. I did it right? Okay. Okay. Yeah, it's vertical and then horizontal. So if, you, if, you're, if you're just a selfish person, it's all about you, who you could use, you... I would go back and recheck your connection, man, with, with Christ, because something has to be off, all right? And that's a sign of an immature person, to be honest with you. They don't think about no one else but themselves, and it also affects their decision-making. Like, they'll, they'll dibble and dabble in some things that they don't think about the natural consequences. So say, for example, um, two people who, um, you, know, just, you, know, just, you know, just sleeping with each other, but they're not married. Um, you know, a lot of times, we, if you've grown up in church, you just hear people telling you, don't have sex before marriage. Don't have sex. And you never stop to think, what's the why behind that? Why, why is God such a killjoy? I mean, I'm a millennial. You see, you see the culture we live in? It's, we're inundated. But, there, but I'll give you a couple of whys. The first one is offensive to God, you know, because it's outside of word. But secondly, there are some natural implications as well, too. You have to think... Um, Financially, what could happen? The two of you split up, and now the, the mother's trying to put the guy on child support, and he's thinking, ah, oh, I screwed up my life for the next 18 years. 
or um, it could be um, it could have physical implications to where you you get you get a, um, a ST, a STD or a STI. I think they changed the name. Or it could or it could lead to the or it could be to where an unplanned pregnancy. Or not to mention the emotional aspect, the shame and guilt that comes along alongside with it. So uh, the immature person. That's just an example. I'm not tr trying to really just focus on that. But the immature person, they never think about the implications of their decisions tomorrow. They're living right now in the moment. You only live once, right? That, that's what the culture says. But we don't stop to think we could die twice. Yeah, so we got to give that some thought. We just don't die when we die six feet deep. We got to stand before a holy God one day, and he decides whether we live for him forever or we, um, we suffer forever. Uh, and in no way, shape, or form am I trying to preach fear to you because I don't think fear could change anyone. Because if you don't love, if love doesn't compel you to change and to surrender your life to Christ, all fear is going to do is have you afraid for a couple of weeks and you go right back to the old life. So I'd rather it be compelled through love than fear, but at the same time, I want to be honest with you. Uh, and mature people realize that real growth, real growth is slow and methodical. Uh, so they learn to trust the process, which is my third point. We have to trust the process. Uh, I, I used to watch this funny show on VH1. It's called Lottery Curses. People win a lottery, and a majority of them are broke in a matter of like a year or two. I'm talking about some ridiculous amount of money. Um, but, uh, and, and I think, I believe one of the reasons that happens is because anything you've given that you've never had to toil for or work for or put any sweat in, you don't, you, you'll never gain the skills on how to cultivate it because there was no process. You entered some numbers and you got a check delivered to you, you know, and, and but real gospel change is very, very slow, just like a tree. Like you plant a tree today, it's not going to be 50 feet tall tomorrow. And sometimes we make that mistake with our walk with Jesus. We think if we come, if we surrender our life to Christ today, everything should just instantly change. And we don't realize that it is a slow, methodical process. If we, if we, if we um, implement it, then we'll see that it works. It'll, we'll see it through. Um, men, we mature into what God is calling us to be through the process of, I'll explain what this process is, something called spiritual formation. Just like if you're an athlete, there are a couple of things you have to do to stay in shape. You have to eat right. Ain't that right, Ronnie? You got to eat right, <laughs> work out, rest. You know, you just can't. Some people take a pill or, or, or go into the knife, but after a while, it just don't look right. You know, like they look all nice and young here and all here be wrinkled. Like you just can't cheat the process. You got to do it right. You, you just can't. And God's the same way. Like it, it, his spiritual formation is prayer, studying his word, it's fasting sometimes. He may be calling you to fast, sharing your faith with other people and spending personal time with them. And, if, and you could be doing that for a long time and you don't see no immediate changes. But if you just stay committed to that. I guarantee you, lo and behold, you'll look up one day and you'll, you'll be li li living an entirely new life. Um, and what is this process? This process, guys, is really the word that we've talked about a lot from this pulpit. It's called discipleship. It's, um, it's where you become a disciplined learner of the things of God. So my question to you this morning, men, who's discipling you? Is it Christ or our culture? 
Because at the end of the day, somebody's always discipling us. Somebody got our ears. Somebody of influence affects how we view the world, our worldview. Even if you don't realize it, somebody's discipling you. So who is it? Who comes to mind? Who shapes the way how we see the world, how we see life, how we see family, um, how we see major decisions, things being done in our government, how we see injustice being done in the news? Who shapes how we view those things? It, if it's not Christ, then most likely it'll be our culture. Um, and Elisha, he was introduced to manhood through this vehicle of discipleship. Because when he was, all this time he was spending with Elijah, he was learning from him. He was gleaning from him. He was picking up how he spent time with God, how he, how he poured into other people's life, how he stayed committed when it seemed like everyone else was doing their own thing and didn't want to live for God. Elisha was learning like, man, this guy Elijah, like, he just had a special relationship with God. But Elisha saw the behind the scenes work to where like he didn't just wake up and just had this life like he put in the work. You know, you see a great athlete, you know, you at home watching your TV, you just see the great highlights. You don't see the long hours, the training sessions. And from a spiritual side, it's the same thing. There are some things that we want from God, but God's calling us to spend a little bit of time with them. They're just not going to be any fly by night things. And I'm not preaching works righteousness like you're working for these things. So Jesus could love you more. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is like for you to be, for you to walk men into that level of maturity that God's calling you to, it's more than just, oh, I got Jesus. I'm straight with Jesus. Me and Jesus, we're good. We're good. We're good. But you never put any time into spending time with Jesus. It, it just doesn't work like that. Um, but you know what? I know I asked you guys earlier, man, who's discipling you? I also want to ask you if someone attempted to disciple you right now, would you allow them? Or would you feel like, what can they teach me that I don't already know? Pride is one of the biggest things that impedes our growth. It's hard for men to ask for help. Uh, before GPS was invented on smartphones, it's hard for us to ask for directions. Uh, I still get lost with GPS sometimes, so I know it's hard for men to ask for help. It's okay. We all need a little help. Nothing's wrong with help. We all do. Um, so I know I said earlier, biblical manhood is a disciplined life. But you know what? Christianity is not the only religion with discipline. You look at Islam, those brothers are disciplined. I mean, you see that bow tie, be perfect. You, um, black Israelites, Buddhists, the Hindus, um, uh, so many other religions, they have great discipline. But just doing a whole bunch of good things don't get you into heaven. It don't work like that. Because there's a lot of other faiths who do a lot of good things, but they just, they just don't believe in Jesus. Um, so but what makes Christianity different is that we're not living a disciplined life so Jesus could love us more. We're living a disciplined life because we recognize how jacked up we truly are without him and how desperately we need him. And we're, and we're living a disciplined life to say, thank you for approving me. You gave me a righteousness on credit. I'm not even living this thing that you're giving me right now. Like God sees us perfect because of what Jesus completed on the cross. That perfection has nothing to do with the attitude you catch the minute your boss gets you mad Monday morning. It has nothing to do with that. He gives you a righteousness on credit that one day you'll live out perfectly when you're with him in heaven. So that's the difference between Christianity and some of these other faiths. We live a disciplined life as a thank you, um, not, not as a we need to, to meet Jesus. Do you, do you see the difference? Okay. Um, uh, and biblical masculinity, it doesn't look like that guy on Wall Street 
with a lot of money counting its dividends and its stock portfolio, but it's really like a, a waiter or a waitress, a servant. That's really what it is, biblical ma masculinity. If you're single, where are some areas in your neighborhood or people in the community that you are serving? If you're married, um, first of all, your first servitude should start at home. Are you serving your family? Um, are you serving in your local church? You know, um, servitude is one of the signs that you're maturing as a man. Who, who, who are you helping out? It doesn't even have to be at your local church. It could just be some people that God's calling you to connect with that don't even go here. Because we're not really stuck on, oh, we got to be affiliated with GI. We're not about that. You know, half the times I hear incredible stories how people in this church are doing some incredible things outside of these four walls. And they're, they're connected with people that don't even attend here. And this is a beautiful thing. You know, because the, the capital C, the, um, the universal church of Christ is much bigger than, the, than just gospel fellowship. Yeah. And the gospel, I mean, biblical masculinity, what it really looks like is um, real manhood. We find it in Isaiah 53. You don't have to turn it. I'll just read a quick verse from there. When the Bible says that he was oppressed and afflicted, and yet he opened not his mouth, like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, and like a sheep before it shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. Um, I always think like, I could not have been Jesus. Think about it. Everybody that's hurting you, beating on you, talking down to you, um, mocking you, you have to be thinking like, I not only created them, but I created this earth they live on. Like, I would just zap everyone. I'm just being honest. Like, I ain't got that patience. Zap, zap. Like, you not only know what they're doing to you, but you could think it. You know, you hear their thoughts. So he hears every, all the negative things that they're thinking about him. Like, that has to be the epitome of humility. That's why I'm saying Christ is the ultimate epitome of manhood. Like, like he stepped down. Philippians 2 says he did not count equality with God, uh, you know, to, um, to, to, to become human. Like, he gave up all his credentials in heaven. I mean, look how he was born. He came into a manger, a filthy manger, quiet, humbly, low, um, and he lived this very humble life for 33 years, became human. Why did he become human? Because he just wanted to take a road trip? No, he became human because he wanted to experience some of the things we experience when we're feeling lonely, when we're feeling depressed, when we're feeling like, God, my life feels like it has no purpose, um, when we feel like nobody loves us, when, it, when, when, when we're betrayed, when everyone turns their back on, on us, you know, like, he wanted to experience that because we've all experienced it, men like, and, and ladies too. Like, it's kind of hard to talk to somebody about what you're going through when they've never been through it, right? So God, Jesus like, you know what? Let me experience it with you. So when you pray to me, I got an idea what you're going through. He might have not, he might have not been through every individual sin. Like, he might have not experienced every individual heartache that we've experienced. But because he took the weight of all of our sin on the cross, he knows what we're going through. He knows what we're going through. Like, he, he lived a perfect life for 33 years, and he died the death that we should have died. Because the thing about God, uh, God dwells in unapproachable light, like brighter than the sun. I'm trying to give you an image here. Um, he's perfect. Like, all they do in heaven all day, like, heaven's not like a big party, a big shindig. In a way, it is, but... They're all like part and worshiping one person, God. 
you know, 24-7, all the angels, all the, all the royal hosts, right? And he dwells in unapproachable light. So we as human beings, we just can't roll up on him like that. And just to think that he's that perfect, that is one of the reasons why when we sin, the only punishment for our sin is death because he's so perfect. There's no other cre there's no other created being or anything that our human minds could fathom that could equate to that. So when we sin, it's deserving of death. And, you know, God, he had, he had a struggle here. He loves us unconditionally, but he just can't wink at us sin. So he had to do something about it. So Jesus, God the Son, said, you know what, God? Because no one's perfect and you need someone to live a perfect life if they're going to die for all these sins, let me come down. So what did God do? God said, I'll die for you. So that's really what happened. God came down to die for us so we could live a life so we could live a life that we don't deserve. And he died a death that he did not deserve so that we could be in heaven with Jesus forever. Because earlier I mentioned good works don't get you into heaven. What gets you into heaven when you accept the sacrificial atonement, which all it means is substitution, when Jesus died the death, we should have died for our sins on our behalf. Because it's not like he lived a sinful life. He lived a perfect life. But he said, you know what, Dad, before you take your anger out on them, take it out on me. So he allowed God the Father to take the full wrath out on him, and he died. And he was resurrected after three days. So when we put our faith in him, we can live life eternal. We, we will live life eternal with him. But on the flip side, we get to live a new and vibrant life right now where we can do things for him, man. We could impact the people around us on our nine to five. We could, act pe we could impact people that we already know. But first, we have to accept that calling. Earlier, I asked the question, um, do you, maybe God's calling you to more? Well, that, that, the first step of that more is, do you have a relationship with him? What is that relationship with Jesus? Is it rocky? Is, do you not have one at all? That's what all starts from. That's the launching pad. It has to start with Christ. Then after that, everything flows from there. And then from there, we make decisions based off based from that vantage point where we stand with Christ. And then from there, we could trust the process that he has in our life. And, you know, and a lot of times in Christianity, the process is very painful. Christians are not excluded. We go through some very, very trying things in life. But, but, we, we, but we have a hope in someone so much greater. We have an end result. We know what our final outcome is. It's not based off of our own strength. But God's calling us to surrender our lives first to him, man. So I would say one of the first major steps, um, prayer team, you could come. One, one of the first major steps of living a life of biblical masculinity is have you surrendered to Jesus. Um, that's the first step. We have to live a surrendered life to him. So if that's you and you know you're not right with Christ, you know if um, today was your last day on earth, um, you're not sure where you would stand if, you know, one day we all got to stand before our maker and he asks you like, watch it, I'll let you into my heaven. You just can't say, "Why? you ain't see all this work I did at the YMCA or the Boys and Girls Club? God will be like, that's good, but that, that it, you still ain't answered the question. Why should I let you into my heaven? He's going to ask like, it, it can't be off our merits because the Bible says on our good day, our good works are like filthy rags. So we need something greater. We need something perfect. That's why we got to accept the sacrificial death of Jesus because he is the only one who lived that perfect life. My good works ain't good enough, so I'm not even trying to live this perfect life. 
I'm not even trying. Anything I do good is a thank you for what he's already done for me first on the cross. That's the life that he's calling us to.